This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to another episode from On the Fence Physio. Today, we bring you our first fence post episode. We talked a little bit about this in our holiday uh, bonus episode. And what we're trying to do with these um, new additions to the podcast are to give a space where we can discuss journal articles, do interviews with other professionals, and also um, provide things like student presentations, in-surfaces, and the like. So I'm Matt Owens, um, your host today, and I'm joined by Andy Wiseman, who brings to us a journal article that he would like to rant about. <laughs> so I'm gonna I might try to have ask... some strong words to say about certain things. <laughs> so I'm going to try to ask yes. provoking questions, get them riled up, um, just for your entertainment and educational pleasure. So Andy, what do you well, have for us? I have just, I have just finished, well, I've had for myself a smoothie IPA on raspberries called Robotic Dreams. So I'm 15 ounces into it, and I think riling me up will be a little bit more difficult than it was previously. <laughs> All right. So the article I have for you today is Brazilian in the least sexy way possible. The Brazilian Journal of Physical Therapy posted, Is Hip Strengthening the Best Treatment Option for Females with Patellofemoral Pain? A randomized controlled trial of three different types of exercise. The primary authors on this study will be names that are hard for me to pronounce, but I'll go for it. Marcelo Carmago Saad, Rodrigo Antunes de Vasconcelos, and Deborah Bevelacroix. No, that can't be right. That sounds too French. Grossi. All right. Try my best. I apologize. Um, never been to Brazil. Anyway. This is a study where they're trying to randomize a couple different things. Their main premise was that, hey, you know, there's lots of different ways that we treat patellofemoral pain. And recently, we've been hearing tell of hip stability exercises being more important for treating knee pain. And we think that's kind of a little bit of bull honky. They didn't say that necessarily, but the way that they were presenting it in their abstract, the way they built up to their um, purpose was kind of to say like, hey, we don't know if hip strengthening is any more effective than any other thing. And you can kind of see it in the title of their paper too. So their, their, um, their main uh, purpose of the study was to kind of figure out was hip strengthening by itself more or less effective than doing a knee strengthening program, doing a stretching program, or doing absolutely nothing at all and having a control group. Now, I don't know who the IRB is of Brazil, but they allowed for a group that uh, just did nothing at the evaluation and didn't have any treatment, and they were allowed to select a rehabilitation program after they were done, 
so there was an intention to treat there. But I thought that was interesting that we uh, we were okay with you know putting them on the bench for eight weeks, whereas there are some um, times I've seen IRBs in the U.S. that don't approve that. You know, like hey, we need our control groups. So the uh, sample size was kind of small. It was forty. Um, able to put 10 in each group. They did retain all but one, so pretty low attrition rate. Um, it was all females. They um, were measured in a lot of different things initially because there were several different outcomes that were taken in the study. So they were measured on pain, visual analog scale for pain. Um, they were measured on um, just uh, on a disability index. I don't remember exactly the one. Um, but a patient report outcome scale um, for anterior knee pain, the anterior knee pain scale, okay? Mm. Um, they were measured on hip and quadriceps strength using a handheld isometric dynamometer. Um, they were also measured on lower limb kinematics during stairs. So they were doing climbing up and down three stairs. They had sensors on them, 3D captured. They were measured their varus or valgus angle of the knee um, during the uh, 90 degrees of bending and 90 degrees of flexion point. Um, and those were tested at you know, pre-trial um, and then post at the eight-week point. There was no longer follow-up than that. They were just looking at the um, time, of the duration of the study. Um, they did um, register it on Brazilian clinical trials registry, so they did kind of call their shot ahead of time. So the, that improves the quality of the article. Am I going too fast? Am I making sense? Yeah. So with if they're looking at the differences between just strengthening the hips, strengthening the quads, stretching, or doing nothing, right? And then they're supposed to be looking at pain, right? Do any right. of these interventions by themselves improve pain and then maybe secondarily function? And then you're also saying they've got some strength and kinematic things they're trying to measure as well yeah yeah they have too many secondary outcomes for the sample size that they have so we can't really delve too much into their secondary outcomes and draw too many conclusions from that we should keep it to keep our conclusions to their primary outcomes um so what do we know about but, pain disability and general exercise yeah and, and here and here's where things get a little bit you know a little bit cranky for me so um so what did they find you know they did their interventions so i guess what i can talk about is their interventions real quick so i know that some physical therapists are going to listen to this and be like ah well i wouldn't be doing that exercise or i wouldn't be or i would do these exercises and you're like but in my program they always get better well Publish a paper then, put your program against something else, and put your program up against the control, and put your program up against the sham, and then show me that your program is way better. And oh, I sham. will come and grovel we... at your feet. Yes. Do we have a I will, sham? I will teach me your ways. If they could. We don't have one here. So what we have sham. is we have a quadricep strengthening group that's doing um, biking for 15 minutes, um, straight leg raises, um, knee, seated knee extensions on a machine, uh, seated leg press on a machine, which does work more than just the quadricep last time I checked, and then a seated wall slide squat 
which also last time I checked does have more muscle activity than necessarily just the quadriceps. But hey, never, never anything is isolating. The hip extension group also did 15 minutes on the bike. That is a great way to warm up your hips is uh, biking, right? Not a lot of quad activity there. Um, they did a straight leg raise against a wall um, laying on their side. They did a bridge on an exercise ball. They did side plank hip drops. They did the hip abductor machine, and they did some um, fire hydrants. The stretching group did stretching of basically everything, quads, hamstrings, calf muscles, IT band, hip flexors, hip adductors, and abs. Did some ab stretching, too. Um, these were time-matched, which was good. You know, like, it's good to time-match things because of what I want to talk about, which is that outcome thing. So, the outcome did these thing. interventions. <laughs> yeah, that outcome thing. The outcome thing is pain and disability, right? These are the outcomes we're measuring. What, you know, if we're measuring pain and disability, where we're measuring a very general outcome. These are outcomes that can be affected by all different kinds of things. We can change a patient's perception of pain with just empathy. Um, one of our more recent, you know, articles we've talked about was the study where they did a, um, a treatment group that just got an empathetic therapist sitting them where they got 15 minutes of fake e-stem, not actual e-stem, and those patients had better pain reduction than the patients who got real e-stem and, and a therapist who didn't give a darn about them. So just having, you know, like patient interaction, which the control group didn't have, but the three treatment groups all got the same match time with the same treating therapist, and they all had pain reduction, but the control group didn't. You know, in my head, I start to go, well, what are the alternative explanations for this? Is it just that all these interventions are equally as good at making pain better? Or are there some other common factors of these treatments, like time spent in a physical therapy clinic, time spent with an empathetic and skilled healthcare provider? Um, could these possibly be the explanations for it? So what I'm frustrated by is that they actually had some more interesting findings in their secondary outcomes, but they're secondary outcomes, so we shouldn't look into them too much because they didn't have the sample size to power them. Wouldn't it have been more interesting? Wouldn't it have been more novel for us to say, like, hey, does um, doing a stretching program, does doing a hip strengthening program, does doing a knee strengthening program have effect on knee kinematics on stairs and knee kinematics maybe on another activity? And look at those as your primary outcomes rather than having those as your secondary outcomes. And now I'm sitting here going like, oh, look, they did change the amount of valgus that was seen at the knee in both the quad strengthening group and the hip strengthening group, but not so much the stretching group. And I'm like, ooh, maybe that's relevant. You know, maybe it's not. But like, I can't really make a big deal about that because instead we made our primary outcome this and we showed nothing. And that's what we're trying to say is that they're all the same. But they're not. It just depends on what your measuring stick is. And if your measuring stick is something so general like pain and disability, why are you putting up different interventions? It would be like saying like, you know, like if your patient is having, you know, like if a doctor is trying to give different, you know, blood pressure reducing medications to a patient and, you know, they're all reducing blood pressure in a different way. But the only outcome you're saying is you're asking the patient, how do they feel? Like, don't you feel like that's kind of silly? Wouldn't you want to measure, like, what is their blood pressure? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and, like, and we can't. Is look... it actually affecting the thing that your treatment is trying to intervene in? 
you know? Yeah, well, and that's like, we can't go too deep into the woods, but if you get into this article, if you guys take a chance, um, the time to read through it, and you look at the tables, there's some interesting things with strength changes, with hip exercises that seem to maybe do just as good as the quadricep exercises. You know, like you're, you're seeing strength improvements in the quads and the hips in both the quad, you know, isolating exercises, hip isolating exercises, some stuff like that, which are like, yeah, that would be a lot more interesting, I think, to dive into. Yeah, and then a hip extension decrease in strength and like the stretching group. And like, is that interesting? I feel like that's interesting. But again, like it's not where this paper went at all. So I guess what I was really just, you know, most frustrated about was like, hey, why are we choosing these general outcomes? I get that they are clinically relevant. I get it. You know, like a lot of people are going to, you know, argue with me and they're going to say like, hey, you know, physical therapy, we're trying to make patients feel less pain. We're trying to get them more function. Those should be our primary outcomes. Um, Promise is collecting tons of patient-reported outcome scales. And they're trying to say like, hey, these are our ways. You know, we can get bigger pools of data if we have more standardized um, data collection. But I think when we're trying to do this kind of primary research, if we want to learn something from it, we need to be a little bit more specific with our outcomes. Because if we're not just going to try to measure what is the effectiveness, if we're actually going to try to measure the efficacy of our interventions, do our interventions work on a certain mechanism? And does that mechanism have a change in the patient that is predictable and dose dependent? Ugh. You know, I just I missed opportunity here. And that's what frustrates me the most. This is a 2018 article, so it's not brand new. Okay. But it came across my Twitter feed and I've read so much about anterior knee pain. I love treating anterior knee pain and I have read so much about it, but some of it can be so frustrating from time to time. I appreciate you, Andy, sharing your frustrations on this fence post. <laughs> and as ever, I will try to bring a spot of sunshine to this, you know, raining on the parade. The nice thing is all of those things, stretching, hip, strengthening, quad strengthening, they all seem to help with pain. So looks like I've been doing all the right stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a confirmation bias there. I heard one. <laughs> That's all right. All right, everyone. Until next time, this has been our first fence post exercise. Exercise. No. Podcast. All right. I will post it as soon as you get it ready for me. Got it. All right, Andy, until next time. Oh, I'm digging myself a hole in that one. <laughs>